There's a delay, so I'm not on the screen yet. That's funny. Just Hi, everybody. Staring. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tim, uh, and I'm with Impact Nations. And I'm sitting here with Isaiah, and he is also with Impact Nations. Yep. And you are seeing the uh, recording of the first episode of season two of the Impact Nations podcast. <laughs> Uh, those who have subscribed to our podcast know that last year uh, we did a long series. It was about 33 episodes uh, where we did uh, Dad's teaching on the book of John, which was absolutely outstanding. If you haven't heard that yet, go hit subscribe on our podcast feed uh, and you will be absolutely blessed because it is a phenomenal series. Um, and so Dad did teaching on uh, the Gospel of John and then we had interviews uh, in between uh, every three episodes or so where we were talking with other authors, other theologians uh, to get more insight onto uh, what, you know, just going deeper on what he was teaching and uh, incorporating questions from the listeners and things like that. And it was an awesome time. Uh, this year, we're going to do something a little bit different. For the summer, at least, we're going to do about, I don't know, nine, ten episodes. We'll see how long it goes of a series uh, that's basically getting to know the people behind Impact Nations. Um, Impact Nations is doing work all over the world with some absolutely incredible partners. Um, and I just thought it'd be fun for our listeners to get to know them and hear their stories, understand what drives them, mm -hmm. uh, and you know why they do what they do, and just hear some stories of what happens when things go great and what happens when things don't go great. Um, yeah. Because these are, you know, very real people that are working with in very broken circumstances. And yeah. uh, the Lord is faithful always, and it's incredible. So uh, I hope you're looking forward to that. I know I really am. Um, so today, my friend Isaiah talked me into something ridiculous, which is to talk about me first. Why not? Uh, <laughs> So uh, the only good thing about that is that we have nowhere to go but up from here. So <laughs> look forward to a great week next week. If you want to just skip ahead to that now, that's no, fine. No, uh, you have to suffer through him first. But, uh, you know, Isaiah and I work together each and every day here in the office, and he pointed out that I'm the host of this podcast and often the, <clears throat> the face of Impact Nation's videos and the voice of those videos, uh, and perhaps people have a few questions about me too. So, um I don't know how I got talked into it, but here I am on the wrong side of the microphone. Uh, so we're gonna <laughs> go for it. We're gonna go for it. The the screen is really distracting, but I'm gonna just try to ignore it here. You know what? I'm um, gonna fix that for you because yeah? I'm gonna flip it over to the to the one that isn't delayed. Oh, for I like that. For those who are curious, who are watching, it's the the it's delayed like ten seconds. Yeah, the or Facebook something. feed is delayed by ten seconds or so. So That's I'm gonna really hit the button because poor Isaiah is distracted. I can't focus. Hey, is that on the little circle there? Uh, yeah, that's okay. all good. Hey, look at that. Bam. There we go. All right, so Tim's back. Here and I be. We were actually just talking before we started broadcasting about job titles. So, Tim, you know, hosts the podcasts, but what? who are you? What is your title? Oh, yeah, so we were talking about this just before we and why started and why <laughs> why is that why is it my title or why am I? Yes, uh, I don't know. It's an existential question. Yes. Um, my name is Tim Stewart, and uh, I think on my business card it says director of operations or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's usually what I tell people is I'm the director of operations at Impact Nations. Cool. So that's my job. 
Cool. Are we done now? Can we call it quits? <laughs> nope. Oh, we've got like okay. at least 45 <laughs> minutes left. Oh, boy. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how many questions we can ask you. Uh, so let's just start with your walk with God. Where did that start? What's your story? Sure. There. Um, I grew up in the church. Uh, my parents were saved a few years before I was born. Uh, and my dad actually was a pastor for much of my upbringing. Uh, actually, yeah, he was he was a pastor. Uh, started pastoring when I was probably about eight years old and was still pastoring when I moved out at 19 or 20. Um, so m- my upbringing was very much in the church. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it was an awesome upbringing, to be honest. And, um, my dad... For those who don't know, I, you probably yeah. do, but for those who don't know, my dad is Steve Stewart, and he is the, the founder and president of Impact Nations. My mom is Christina Stewart, and she is the uh, uh, Journeys Director, Journeys of Compassion Director here at Impact Nations. And They're all my boss, all yeah, at once. That's true. He's got a lot of bosses, poor guy. Um, but I... Uh, I grew up in a family that was about doing the gospel, and we talk about that lots here at Impact Nations, but that's not something that started when they founded Impact Nations. Impact Nations was founded because they were just in the habit of doing the gospel. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, I think I was probably four years old when my dad took me to the hospital for the first time to pray for the sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember very distinctly many, many Saturdays going into housing projects for the poor and and doing we used to have a big purple bus that um, was loaded up our church loaded it up with uh, clothing and, and food and games and all those things and so actually it's funny the things that we do on journeys of compassion now uh, in one sense I was doing those things when I was like 10 years old mm-hmm. in housing projects in southern Ontario in Canada and uh, that was my upbringing we just we loved on the poor and, and all those things and in fact that was so so ingrained in me that the cool thing is that that's kind of how my marriage started too um, oh. because um, I on our very first date um, it's a really long and probably not very interesting story but I'll cut to the quick of it which is um, there was car trouble and uh, our first date which was on a Friday night ended up us being stranded in the middle of nowhere for a very long time and mm-hmm. ended up sitting in a in a coffee shop uh, until dawn waiting for things to sort themselves out and at that point it was like well my church is doing a food giveaway for the poor this morning you want to hang out and come do that come too on. so uh, yeah <laughs> so we we did that together uh, okay. and that was our our first date which was a really long date if you've yeah. done the math that's many many hours yeah. uh, and so she came and we went and we were in housing projects in Vancouver at that point uh, and giving food away to the poor uh, and actually, I remember being in this woman's apartment, and my wife and I, are, who was at that point not even my girlfriend, on first date for Pete's sake, and, and we're just having fun doing the stuff, you know, mm. praying for her, and and we're walking groceries into her kitchen and helping her put away and all that stuff. And she looks at us and she says, "Wow, you guys are awesome. You guys should get married. You're amazing together." And we looked at each other and we thought, "Well, yeah, that's a pretty cool. good idea. We probably should." Oh wow! So date one, you're both planning. <laughs> yeah. That didn't make her parents very comfortable, uh, Interesting. as you can okay. imagine. And I, I think we were, I don't know, uh, 21 or 22 or something at that at that point. Well, um, so how long did you wait to tell her parents that you had schemed up <laughs> this wedding? Oh boy, uh, I think by uh, that was that would have been in like October, and by December they were catching wind of it, oh. and we're. 
great. Um, afraid for their daughter, mm. and rightly so. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, and and you know, if my daughter's ever listening to this, don't even think about it. That's <laughs> not how we do things. Um, but it was different for me. Totally different for me. I'm the exception to the rule, right? Sure. Um, Anyway, I don't know where we started. I think the question was about my walk with the Lord. So yeah. growing up in, in the church, um, I mean, I was baptized at age eight. My dad was principal of Christian schools for a little while, uh, pastoring for a long time. And we were doing the stuff and having a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as is often the case, uh, despite all of those things, there was something missing in my walk with the Lord. I wasn't... Um, I don't know what it, what it is. I, I, I don't know if it's a sense of ownership. I think I owned it. Um, and, you know, I was playing on worship teams and all those mm. things. And as a young adult, I was a worship leader. And uh, entering into marriage, uh, you know, we certainly were very active in the church and stuff. But my personal walk with the Lord wasn't very rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... That can be interpreted a couple ways, and it should be interpreted both ways, but I want to kind of caution people a little bit when I say I wasn't spending time in the Scripture, and I I wasn't um, spending time in prayer, things like that. And the reason I want to say that with a caveat is there are... The enemy would love to beat us up and say, well, you're not reading your Bible, so you're not a very good Christian. must not be right. Or you must not love Jesus very much. Right. Um, And... I just want to be really careful because our our walk with the Lord should be absolutely measured by the fruit in our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we filled with the Spirit and are we exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit? Um, there are seasons when you may spend less time in the Word mm-hmm. and don't let the enemy tell you you're a loser. That's not the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are treasured and loved by God and He's longing to spend time with you, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's really but the cool thing is He's right there waiting for you, and it's not a far distance to get to him. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but Absolutely, I just I, I want to be really careful that I'm not saying I wasn't a good Christian because I didn't read my Bible. But having said that, I think that I was missing out on a, on a great, rich relationship with the Lord because I wasn't spending time in the Word. Right. But also, and this is really, really important, uh, I wasn't spending time in rich relationships with others who were walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And this that's a really, really big thing that I haven't... I'll be honest with you. I have been coming to grips with that more and more and more over the last two years. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about how I really became radically saved about eight or nine years ago. Um, but even since then, it has, I, I don't know, slowly dawned on me the absolute importance of walking with other men who are walking with the Lord mm-hmm. and being very real with them about my walk with the Lord and my marriage and my parenting and all of these things. Uh, and when I was young, and I mean young like a teenager uh, and as a young adult and, you know, in my 20s, uh, I I wasn't doing life with anybody, and I know that's a catchphrase that we use lots. And it is. It's Christianese at this point, right? Doing but life. There's but a reason it was coined. Yeah, it's it's a helpful term. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't sharing my life, if, if I can put it that way. I okay. wasn't sharing Tim with other men yeah. who were making themselves available to me, too. And there is an incredible richness that comes from your walk with the Lord when you're walking with other men mm-hmm. who are also striving 
to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't do it alone. We weren't made to do it alone. That's uh, true. We weren't made to do it alone. You know, Jesus, <laughs> he may have retreated to the mountain for a time, mm-hmm. uh, at times, to get away from the crowds and be with his father. Absolutely, and that's really important. Sure. But then he went back to his 12 best friends, you know, and, and, he, and he spent time with them. Yeah. And so I'm learning still the importance of that mm-hmm. uh, and just spending time sharing my heart with other men who are ready to listen and encourage and call me out on my stuff too and say, hey, man, smarten up. Don't, what are you doing? Don't do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, they, uh, they can't do that if I'm not being real, right? So if I, don't, if I don't go to my friend and say, man, I really blew it with my wife last night. I said something stupid and this is what I said. And if, you know, if I don't have friends who can say, yeah, no, that was really stupid. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> then uh, you're, you don't have real deep relationship, you know yeah. what I mean? And, yeah. and it's a lot harder to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have roots that go down deep in order to flourish and, uh, and bear much fruit if you're not willing to do that work of bearing your soul effectively. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, every time me and my friend get together, we're sitting there with, with hankies and, yeah. and crying in each other's laps. That's ridiculous. Men don't cry. Everybody knows Ever. that. Ever. But uh, it's, <laughs> it's important to make sure that you are making time for those real moments. Um, so, wow, that was a really long question. I don't even know if I answered your, your question. That was a bad answer, perhaps. But Oh, no. It was, there you go. <laughs> it's getting to know Tim. So it's, it's great. We're getting to know Which you. Which is the point. I you mentioned a little bit about, um, or you alluded to more discussion of radically getting saved Yeah. about eight or nine years ago. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, so I've kind of set it up by saying now, since then, I've learned the importance of deep relationships. Yeah. And I alluded to the fact that in my <clears throat> teens and in my 20s, I didn't have that the same. And I want to be careful to say I had some really great friends, and some of those people are friends to this day. But I wasn't taking full advantage. And I would argue that they weren't necessarily either in terms of going deep with one another in the Lord and being fully transparent with one another. Hmm. And so some of the struggles that I carried into my marriage, just in, in terms of selfish, selfish tendencies, were, there was no opportunity for the Lord to really root those out of me. Um, we have to do the work too, right? It's sometimes I think we tend to pray these prayers of, oh God, rescue me from this uh, habitual sin or, sure. or whatever it is. Fix me. Yes, fix me. Yeah. Oh God, you put, put, it, I, put it back I, together. I asked you last week and I'm still not fixed. Yeah. What's the matter mm-hmm. with you? Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm not willing to actually tell a human being the truth about what's going on inside of me. Yeah. And that is a recipe for a really crummy marriage. Mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll tell you. So if you're a young person out there, you just got married, so you need to hear this too. Um, but it, it if you're not being real with the people around you and you're not willing to do the work by being real with the people around you, then you're really limiting the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, because the Lord wants to partner with us. Uh, he, it's not a you know magician wave the, wave the magic wand. It's, it's coming and saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but you got to start with the I believe, and I'm willing to do the work right. to to be changed, and that means you got to do it with other people. So anyway, I went into marriage, uh, not doing not that. having done that, yeah, and um, eventually we got called 
to the Philippines. And I say got called, um, and that's kind of shorthand, but what does it mean? And it, uh, effectively, we knew when we got married, we wanted to have kids and then eventually go and, and do missions together. We knew that. Cause, In that order? Uh, yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, isn't, Interesting. You know, that was kind of what we envisioned because we wanted to bring our family with us with and, and do things together, you okay. know? Great. very much like what I'd grown up with, Great. which was you know going out and doing the stuff together, right? Yeah. I, my brothers and my mom and my dad, we were always together going and doing the stuff, praying for the sick and, and ministering to the poor, meeting their needs. And so we had this grand plan, as, as most young couples do when they get married. Um, some, and some, some, not us. <laughs> you'll get there. Um, and so we knew we wanted to go do missions once we had kids, and then we were told we couldn't have kids. Uh, okay. The doctors told us uh, it's not possible. Uh, and um, so at the time, we were running a group home in Vancouver. And having a lot of fun together doing that, you know, we were working together, which was really neat. That's, that's a that is a really cool way to start a marriage. Um, it has its own challenges, but it is yeah. really neat to spend that much time together and stuff. But when we were told we couldn't have kids, we started thinking, well, okay, that was step one. I guess we'll skip that and go on to step on two. two. Sure. Okay. So we started looking, and my wife tells these stories a lot better than I because I just I'm not a details guy. I don't like remember the the details of the past, but I know she had come to me with several ideas and said, hey, what about this? What about that? And I'd, I'd said no. Um, and I, t- I don't know that that was the Holy Spirit in me or just me being like, nah, that doesn't sound like I don't fun. feel like going there. Yeah, and that. Okay. Too hot, too cold. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. I don't remember my reasoning. But I also, and this is important to note, I also don't remember my reasoning for the day that we were sitting in a Starbucks at the corner of Fraser and 49th in Vancouver, B.C., and she said to me, there's an opportunity for us to go to the Philippines and I can learn to be a midwife, uh, get my midwifery degree, Great. Uh, while we are ministering to Very the poor right. in a charity birthing center. And for some crazy reason, I just said, yeah, I think that's the one. I don't know why. Again, this is just the the Lord leads, right? Yeah, so it, does, it just happened. <laughs> he does strange things, and it's wonderful. Indeed. So we went to the Philippines. Uh, it, that's obviously condensing a whole lot of work that went into yeah. that. But we we sold everything, uh, the stuff that nobody wanted to buy. We stuck in my parents' crawl space, and we packed up and we moved to the Philippines. Uh, that was back in two thousand and seven, uh, and we were in our late twenties at the time. And the, the people who were running the ministry there were asking us, are you sure you're ready for this? Because you don't understand the intensity that you're walking into. Like, missions work is hard. And yeah. and you don't understand the target that will be on your back when you get here in terms of what the enemy will do to undermine your marriage, your ministry, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as everybody knows, when you're in your 20s, you're invincible. So you got, we told them you got that. Made. Yeah, like, excuse me, I don't think you understand. We're invincible. It was effectively, <laughs> was effectively what we said, right? And you look back now. Uh, this is 12 years later, I guess, and you go, oh man, what were we, what were we thinking? Not so um, much. Not so much. Uh, so we went, and they were right. I mean, there was a target on our back um, because. Here's the thing. The enemy absolutely hates it when we get busy doing the Father's business. Mm-hmm. We, he, th- I think actually in, in one sense, this would be a really controversial thing to say, but in one sense, I think one of the favorite places for the enemy to have us is sitting in a chair in church. 
because okay. we sure. can't actually do a whole lot in that moment, in that space, to extend the kingdom. Yeah. Don't hear me say, don't go to church. I love the church. I totally believe in the local church. And not only am I completely committed to my local church, I'm also committing my life to extending the local church in countries all over the world. Please, go to church, and, and you will be richly blessed, and it will build your faith and all those things. So awesome. I don't fire don't Tim yet. Yeah. But at the same time, don't stay there. Great. Don't don't stay yeah. seated in that seat. Don't yeah. don't pack your life so full of leaders meetings and prayer meetings and all those things that you have no margin left for going and doing the gospel doing. and being the hands of feet hands and feet of Jesus. Um, I don't even know how I got there. Sorry, but we went and the enemy very quickly began to pick away. But here's the thing: we had a pretty crummy foundation. Mm-hmm. I had a pretty crummy foundation. And so it didn't take much to pick away. And we were there for three and a half years and did some really good stuff, by the way. I, w- I was working, um, Bethany, my wife, was working uh, with the Charity Birthing Center. And imagine, by the way, that's just an aside. I'm going to just brag on my wife for a bit because this is uh, one example of how she is absolutely extraordinary. She embodies the grace and mercy of Christ each and every day. And this is an example. Here's a woman who was just told, heartbreakingly, you can't have kids. And the Lord calls her to go and help other people have kids. Hmm. And so here's this woman who is hurting because she, the one thing she wanted was to have children and now she's told she can't have them and then every day she has to go and face this as other women are celebrating the birth of their child and she's there catching this baby yeah. and then has to hand it over hmm. and you know I don't I can't begin to understand the pain of that the cool thing however again by the grace of God is that I think it was within six months of being there we were pregnant with our first baby <laughs> <laughs> interesting so what do doctors know I, uh, well that's I mean, they brings it, up questions. Indeed. Uh, so, I don't know. The Lord just it, the Lord is always good, and He's always at work, and He knew exactly what we needed. So, uh, our daughter, our oldest daughter, her name is Promise, and she's uh, turning eleven this summer. And we named her Promise for a reason, obviously. Yeah. Uh, as you can imagine, over uh, whatever it was, uh, six years of marriage or or whatever, up to that point, we were getting words from people, you know, oh, the Lord is going to give you a child and everything. And you believe those words and you hold on to them. And that's the promise. And yet you have to hold on to that promise because the facts as the doctor is telling you, hey, by the way, you can't have children Mm. are flying in the face of that promise. And you have to hold on to that promise and remind yourself of that promise on a regular basis. And some, I mean, for us, six years in the grand scheme of things is actually fairly short. You look at some of the promises in the Bible and you go, whoa, man, like that Abraham dude, he had to wait a really long time for that promise. So it's true. Anyway, we named our oldest daughter Promise. Uh, and then my son Tobias was born two years later, so he's he's turning nine this summer. Uh, by that point, when he was born, we'd been in the Philippines for over three years. Um, and our marriage was really suffering, to be honest. Mm. Uh, our marriage was suffering because of me. Mm. Uh, I, as I said, I went into ministry with a very... Uh, very weak foundation and that's as I've laid out was my fault because I wasn't walking in the light I wasn't 
I wasn't allowing the Lord to speak through other men into my life, and I, I wasn't being, I wasn't even being honest with the Lord, right? And I was always mm. praying that prayer that so many of us have prayed so many times. Oh God, why don't you just fix me? Because yeah. uh, I know I'm broken. People around me probably forget that I'm broken. I mean, I'm faking it pretty I good. I haven't told but, them. Yeah. But everyone is. So. I just, just fix me, will you? Yeah. And yet never being willing to actually sit down with somebody and say, hey, I'm broken. And here's all the ways I'm broken. And here's the way it's actually compromising my marriage, my parenting, and all these things, my yeah. ministry. And uh, I need your help to walk me through a process of getting right with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, but by God's grace... He will answer that prayer eventually one way or the other. Uh, Tobias, by the way, means God is always good. And we named him that because it was a proclamation. Even in my darkest days, I, I never questioned the sovereignty of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord, right? Like, hmm. wow. God is good and he is on his throne. Yeah. And so that's my declaration. When we named Toby Tobias, it means God is always good. No matter what, all the time, and even in our darkest days, our declaration today is God is good. God is good. By the way, that boy, he came out and wasn't breathing, wasn't breathing for a long time. He was born in our home because the one cool thing about having a a wife who's a midwife is that all of her friends are midwives too. So, you know, it wasn't wasn't hard to find people to help us uh, birth a child. Yeah, exactly. But things got scary really fast. And I remember pacing up and down the hallway, praying in tongues because this labor was not going well. And he came out, he wasn't breathing. And I remember her, the midwife, hanging him upside down and just like trying to give him a good smack to get him to breathe. And it was a long, long time before he breathed. They called the ambulance and we rushed him to the hospital. And after several days, it was figured out he had an infection. And Philippines hospitals, by the way, are not not U.S. hospitals. Indeed. Uh, and so that was a challenge in and of itself. But God is always good, even in the midst of that. So Tobias was born. And then the Lord said, okay, it's time. It's time to deal with Timmy now. Like, we're going uh-huh. to fix this boy. Uh, and uh, I remember... Did you have a sense that this was the time when he was about to do stuff? Uh or did it kind of just no, hit you? No, I, I think Bethany probably did. Bethany's got a really prophetic gifting. Okay. She knows these things, and she knew something was wrong. Like, she knew this, this is not, uh, this isn't the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Yeah. So what's missing? What's going on? And I remember um, praying a prayer in an email form. Uh, I was actually uh, on the other side of the country at the time in the Philippines. We are in the Philippines, and... Uh, I remember praying a prayer in the form of an email that I sent to Bethany, but it was it, it started out as an email to Bethany and kind of morphed into a prayer halfway through. I don't yeah, know why. Sure. I remember writing this. I was in this crummy hotel and just writing this email and basically just, I was finally actually being real spiritually with her and just said, you know, I feel like I'm on the edge of a cliff and I need, I'm, I'm too afraid to step off. I know, I know God's character. I know he will catch me and everything will be okay, but I'm just too scared. I can't do it. I need him to push me. <laughs> and it's a really long story that, and this isn't the time or place to get into it, but sure. the Lord did push me that night. And basically, uh, through a series of circumstances, uh, that very night, my, our whole world came crumbling down around us. And... I got pushed off that cliff and I tumbled a long way down, really long way down, and it hurt a lot. And yet, by God's grace, he had seen it coming, uh, of course, 
because he knows all. Yeah. And he had set up, I mean, the perfect set of people around us. Wow. And had set up circumstances that we had no choice but to suddenly zero right in on the issues in our marriage and in me. And, I mean, like, we just, we had to deal with it. And we got this, we were like in this incubator for weeks where the Lord was just doing open heart surgery. And that's the process of me getting radically saved. And suddenly, I was in the light. And, you know, I'd love to say it was this miraculous, you know, he changed me overnight and I've been great ever since. Uh, It was a process. Mm -hmm. And it continues to be a process as the sanctification process is for all of us. But it had a starting point. And it was that night when I prayed that prayer in a hotel room in some province, I can't even remember the name of this province, on some island in the Philippines, far, far away from home, wherever home was, <laughs> Philippines sure. or Canada. Canada. Um, and the Lord redeemed me. In his mercy, he redeemed me. And since then, I have been walking in a new freedom and a new joy. And our marriage... Uh, has been incredible. You know, that was about, we've been married, we'll be 17 years this summer. Uh, So basically the second half of our marriage has been absolutely extraordinary uh, and continues to get more and more extraordinary every day. And I am amazed at how God is using uh, my wife on a daily basis, how he's using uh, the two of us and our story of how our marriage, I mean, we were right on the brink, I'm telling you, like it was really, really, really bad. And yet, the Lord, by His mercy and grace, made mended it so much better than it ever had been or ever could have been until He took me through that process. And so, that's how I got radically saved. And I've been wow. walking with Him ever since, and I continue to figure it out as I go. And the last two years have been an incredibly rich experience of um, discovering even more the the richness of relationships with other men and stuff, and that has um, benefited my walk with the Lord and, and my marriage and my sure. and my kids uh, very very much. Mm. So that's fun. It's an interesting blend of emotion listening to it because on one hand I hear there was a lot of brokenness and I tumbled off a cliff, and you want to be broken at that. But knowing you, I know that you came out, and so I'm like, yeah, awesome, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. But and so I'm torn in my emotions, mm. and it. I, I can see that in my own life, looking back on a much smaller scale, of there's times when the emotion is not positive. Yeah. But now looking back on it, I smile like really big and say, yeah. I'm so glad God did that. Yeah. And took me through that time. You know, it's interesting. I was chatting with my youngest brother, Ben, who actually <laughs> used to do my job. Your job. He, yeah, he used to manage Impact Nations years ago and is now uh, an executive pastor and young adults pastor here in Albuquerque. Anyway, he and I got chatting last week, I think, about Jesus' reaction to Lazarus' death. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you haven't, like I said, go back and listen to Dad's teaching on the Gospel of John because... Uh, it, it's awesome teaching about Jesus' reaction where it, Jesus took time to weep and face all of the emotions of a man, right? And this is the incredible, mind-boggling truth of the hypostatic union. You know, he was 100% man and 100% God. So in that moment, he, he knew exactly how it was going to turn out. And by the way, we know exactly how it's going to turn out because we believe in Jesus Christ, who has already won the victory, right? Mm-hmm. It's won. We're in the already and the not yet, but the, 
it is done. When he was on the cross, he declared, it is finished. So we do right. know the outcome. The outcome is we win. But like Jesus, we're men facing the emotions of, the, of humanity. And in that time, Jesus took the time to be fully man as well and absolutely weep in front of his friends for the loss of their brother. And I just think that's a beautiful picture. of yeah. It's okay to weep and to grieve. Uh, to grieve the loss that you're facing right now, to grieve the hardship. And by the way, don't be surprised when hardship comes because Jesus said in this world you'll have many troubles. So don't be surprised when it comes. And it's really tempting for us to shake our fist at God and say, this isn't the abundant life you promised. And, you know, like Job's friends, it's really easy for us to turn to our friends who are in that moment and say, well, you probably have sin in your life, so you better shape up. Um, All those things. But let's just look at what Jesus did. And he took the time to grieve. Even though he knew, I got the victory, and in a few minutes, I'm going to go and I'm going to haul your brother out of that grave, and it's going to smell funky for a little bit, but (laughs) it'll be okay. Um, But it's okay to take time to grieve, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fun. Yeah. Um, I'll just go, we'll just talk a little bit about what happened after that before you got here. Yeah. So, (laughs) knowing a little bit of background, just personally... That seems like that was near the end of your time in the Philippines. It was very near the end, yeah. Um, and so then where did you go after that? Well, we came back home to, at that time, Vancouver was home for us. Um, that's where we lived for our whole marriage. Um, and that's where my parents were at the time. We came back home and uh, we had two little kids. Uh, Toby, I think he would have been, I don't know, five months by the time we got back to Vancouver. Okay. Uh, and so he was really little. And we moved into my parents because uh, we had nothing remember except for the crummy stuff that nobody wanted to buy that we it stuck in their crawl space, the crawl space yeah. With spiders, uh, great. yeah so we moved into their uh their town home which was oh, it was a nice place but it was a, one of those split level places so i don't remember how many flights of stairs there were but a lot more than there should be when you got a five five month five old month baby old. yeah uh so we lived there for a little while and then uh we ended up moving to um just outside you know about an hour outside of vancouver to one of the suburbs and um I, by the way, I should say, I've, I forgot to mention one thing, which is while Bethany was doing uh, the baby catching in the yeah. Philippines, uh, I was getting uh, clean water to people in the rural villages around uh, the provinces of the Philippines. Okay. Uh, and so that was my gig. I did clean water and she did uh, the, um, she did the baby thing. Did those come um, as a package when you went, or did you have to go find that opportunity? No, that's a really good question, Just actually. Just Yeah, no, it's a good question. Back. We went uh, only, we kind of had a rough idea that uh, there may be an opportunity in water filtration, but we really weren't sure. So, um, But uh, Impact Nations, mom and dad were running Impact Nations by that point. It was, you know... A, ministry operating in many places and they had just begun doing water filtration in many places around the world so uh the people who were directors of clean water at that time came out to manila i flew up to manila from where i was living and learned how to do it there and then brought that technology back to Davao, the city where i was living and we started i remember we started with uh Back then, they were uh, what's called a biosand water filter, which is basically a a Mm -hmm. big concrete box about the size of a water cooler. And uh, we were making, we had steel mold, and you'll pour the concrete in there. And we were making them in my friend's backyard down the street from my apartment. And 
that's how we started. And you, you fill the concrete box with layers of sand and gravel and stuff, and then there's a biological layer that it's kind of boring stuff. But it's I found it fascinating. I'm a biochemist, uh, so it's actually there you go. Okay. exciting. Probably most of our listeners aren't biochemists, I'm yeah. guessing. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we started with one single mold, and after a few years we were doing... Uh, a lot of filters and you know we had like a little factory basically it, you know it was humble but it was it was our it was our factory and we loved it and we were doing uh we were able to make about 10 water filters a day i think or something like that. i can't remember it doesn't matter Great. but so that's what i was doing i say that to say uh when you go back to canada the, if you're living in vancouver it turns out there's not much need for water filters especially big concrete water filters or even in yeah. vancouver yeah so um it was time to find something new to do right um and so this is pretty this is a little aside but i just anytime you can tell people about the goodness of god you may as well right so that's right here's a little aside uh we got back and we hadn't been filing taxes in canada in the years that we'd been gone um in the Philippines. So when we got back, we filed taxes. Well, in Canada, God bless Canada, they basically pay you to have children. So you get um, you get tax uh, rebates or tax credits, basically, uh, for having children. So when we filed our taxes and said, oh, and by the way, we now have two children, uh, as compared to the last time we filed our taxes, the government um, said, oh, oh, well, we're sorry about that. We owe you a lot of money. So they sent us a check, I'm telling you, they sent us a check for over $10,000. And again, Bethany knows it right down to the penny how much that check was. And and she loves to point out that it was in her name, not mine. Oh. Uh, so she, uh, that, believe that. that was enough to provide for us for 10 weeks while I looked for work. Wow. Um, and I looked and looked good. and looked. And I applied for everything I'm telling you. I actually, I quite literally applied to be a chicken catcher. Um, which, praise Jesus, You're they not. did not give me the job. Or I might be a chicken catcher to this day. Who knows? Um, probably wouldn't be operating in my gifting at that point. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that check lasted, I'm telling you, like perfectly to the day. It supplied our, all of our needs. Um, isn't God good? He and is. he was waiting for just the right moment to get me the job that I did end up with, which was with a, a major tire uh, distributor in Canada. Uh, they're the largest tire chain in Canada that does commercial tires and agriculture tires and uh, car, light truck tires, things like that. Okay. Um, and they had an amazing management program. So basically, it was you know kind of a uh, it was almost like a business degree while you're while you're working to be get trained to be a manager and stuff. So I was. I, as I say, I was managing group homes and then I went and managed this six and a half years, uh, you know, got certified as a system manager and certified as a manager and these things. Um, and so that's what I was doing in, in Vancouver for a while. Um, six years or six and a half years, something like that. Cool. Yeah. So then why did you, I mean, that brings us pretty much to Impact Nations. Indeed. Why? Why <laughs> did you leave? <sighs> you know... In the same way that for some reason, as we sat in a Starbucks at 49th and Fraser one day, and Bethany said, how about the Philippines? How about midwifery? And I said, okay. Sure. Uh, in the same way, it wasn't quite as immediate as that, I don't think, but it was very much the Holy Spirit was like, I think this is this is your next thing, you know? And uh, so mom and dad had come up. Um, 
by that point, Impact Nations had moved offices from Canada down to Albuquerque, New right. Mexico, of all places. That's a long, not, is. not terribly interesting story. But uh, they had moved down to America. Uh, Bethany is an American citizen. I met her when she was at university in Canada. Um, so all of our kids are dual too. I should, by the way, I need to point out one other thing. I have a third. <laughs> uh, our daughter Hosanna was born uh, after we moved back to Vancouver. So I just I want to say my precious little girl Hosanna. Now the the reason she's named Hosanna is because uh, that means salvation has come. Mm. Uh, that was a word that was uh, started out as meaning save us and over time basically came to mean salvation has come and of course that's what they were shouting as they waved palm branches and stuff so that was our declaration by that point salvation had come I again I've yeah. been radically transformed by the gospel uh, and so when Hosanna was born it was like she's Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and Bethany had received prophetic words about Hosanna coming even before Toby had come she knew that there would one day be a daughter named Hosanna too so okay uh, anyway so we had Hosanna uh and in that time, Impact Nations moved down here, and then they came up to Vancouver to visit for Christmas or something, and they took us out for lunch. Now, you, here's the thing, and folks, if you're listening, and Dad says to you, uh, I, I want to talk to you about something, like, I, let's go out for lunch, I want to talk to you about something. You get nervous. You, well, you just need to be aware something something's coming, because... Um, We'd like to joke around here, you know, Jesus loves you very much and Dad has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, it's my dad, so I didn't know. I said, hey, let's go for a nice lunch. And, and Bethany and I sat and listened as they said, hey, we, we're looking for somebody to help manage uh, the Impact Nations operations. Would you consider coming down to Albuquerque and helping us run the, run the deal? And you know, we both felt prompted by the Lord. Uh, just continue to listen and pray, and don't say no. And uh, we continued to listen and pray, and not say no. And uh, I think it was three months later. I was handing in my my notice at my employer and saying, "I'm moving to America." Here we and, go. You know, a lot of my friends. Uh, when I said I'm moving to New Mexico, they missed the new part and thought I was moving to Mexico and thought I was completely nuts. As always. Uh, so, yeah. People always make <laughs> Is that, that a thing? Yeah. yeah, no, that's always a, a mistake. <laughs> I'm going to do something radical here. I'm going to open this can of water because I'm really thirsty and I forgot to open it earlier. I know. By the that. way, this, this also is a blessing from Bethany. She yeah. came by the office today because she had a few extra minutes between appointments and she wanted to bless me and she brought me my favorite flavor of sparkling water which is, of course, pomplamousse, which is, that's French for grapefruit. All right. Cool. And it's delicious. Good. Anyway, so, so that's we'll how I ended how long up. that lasts. That's how I ended up at... Uh, at Impact Nations. At Impact Nations. So uh, we, I took the job in March of 2017. We moved down here in June of 2017, and we're loving it. We're loving every minute of it. It's been awesome. Good. The Lord has provided an incredible community for us here. I love my work. Uh, and I feel funny sitting here because, I, you know, I, uh, I'm not the guy who, who is doing the amazing things. I'm, I'm just the connector. And the great joy is to take our absolutely amazing donors from all over the world, incredible donors who are so committed to seeing the gospel declared and demonstrated all over the world, and I get to connect them with 
absolutely amazing partners who are on the ground in these nations who are every day in the trenches declaring the gospel and demonstrating the gospel in incredible ways. And so that's that's the joy of my job. I get to yeah. just see these amazing people doing amazing things and relaying that information to these incredible donors who made it happen. And uh, that's, there's just so much joy in that. So that's much awesome. joy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I guess through the podcast, there's usually an ad at some point where you highlight some aspect. Mm. And that seems like a fair intro to some part of the ministry that maybe you want to okay. hype. Okay, so like shameless plug? Is that, yeah, is that my cue? Okay. Yeah, this is your cue. So, so normally, this is, I, I said this to you earlier today, I was like, how am I going to do an ad in the middle of my own interview? That's <laughs> weird. Well, you normally, just gonna... I play some nice music that comes in, and then, and then I interrupt Dad's teaching, and I'm like, yo, you don't need that teaching, you need to hear what I have to say. I'm and I talk singing. for a minute, and then we fade out the music, or fade the music in again, and then Dad comes in and does the the real ministry um, so pretend you're hearing nice music here as I fade into an ad and I'd like to talk a little bit about our journey to Bulgaria actually if okay. I could and I'm gonna I'll, t- uh, I'll talk about my most recent journey experience perhaps actually as a p- plug for Bulgaria my most recent journey experience was in India uh, I was helping to lead a team of about 30 33 people, something like that, from around the world who were doing ministry in northern India. And we were there for 12 days. And some absolutely amazing things happened uh, in terms of, you know, we got to uh, do a medical clinic inside of a Sikh temple, which mm-hmm. was awesome. And uh, in fact, one of our hosts said to us uh, partway through the morning, he says, you know, the first miracle happened this morning and you didn't even notice it. And I said, what was that? He says, when they, when the Sikh uh, priest and elders invited you to pray a blessing in Jesus' name over our day in their Sikh temple, he said, that is completely unheard of. Right. And you have no idea how big of a deal that is. Uh, that, yeah. And that was really cool. And we saw, you know, hundreds got healed and saved and uh, and got through the clinic. Our, our clinic uh, was amazing that day. They just pounded out amazing work of you know ministering to the sick of course when we're on a journey and we're doing medical clinics we're, we're healing the sick it's funny actually we have to tell people uh, when they're lining up to come into our medical clinics uh, hey we're gonna we're gonna pray healing for you and Jesus uh, is gonna heal you now if you get healed you can still see a doctor it's okay <laughs> because a lot of times people are actually afraid to say yeah I got healed um, because they're afraid that means we'll say awesome great, great get on the line uh, <laughs> you don't need a doctor and they've come for them it's a real opportunity um, it gives dignity and it gives uh, hope and it gives life and it's for them just the thought that this doctor would have come halfway around the world to come and see me and spend time listening to to my problems and stuff is a big deal so yeah. we have to make sure no you still get to see the doctor um, this is turning out to be a weird ad for Bulgaria, but I'm getting somewhere. Well, it's, it's perfect. That's um, what we need. But during that day, I had the opportunity uh, with Dad. Uh, I just love doing ministry with Dad, and I know many of our listeners love doing ministry with Dad. I've been doing, I've, I've done it more than you, so nah, nah, nah. I've been doing it <laughs> since I was four. And he and I got to go out uh, with my friend Joshua Smith, uh, and the three of us went out with our interpreter into this village. And we went down these narrow streets uh, where there's high walls, like compounds around everybody's house. And we're walking the streets, and uh, you got to be careful because at any moment a motorcycle is going to come zooming around the corner and run you over. So you got to mm-hmm. be, you know, stay close to the edge and all these things. And and we're 
we drew a crowd because believe it or not, there's not actually a lot of six foot two white bald guys walking around in the village in India. So you know they're looking <laughs> pretty interested. And as they're as you know, we just say, hey, Jesus is healing people today. What do you need? You know, and they you know, I remember very distinctly these two old women sitting on this kind of little concrete ledge in the street out front of their place or whatever and one of them said well I have a bad knee and so we prayed for her knee and she gets up and she's well by this point now some people are starting to look from their roof they're looking over or around the corner from down the street whatever and then of course what happens is they say the woman says well I'm healed and she's telling others and that's awesome and so now we're, we're healing the sick in Jesus name up and down the street but the woman says will you come to my house and I'm a sucker for chai tea, so the answer is absolutely I'm coming yes. to your house. Um, <laughs> is and we, it the implication that you always get chai when you go to it, someone's house? It, in India, chai is the thing. Come okay. have tea, and okay. the tea in India is marvelous. Okay. Um, but uh, we went into her home, and we sat with the family, and, and in India they're multi-generational families, right? So mm-hmm. we've got, uh, th- there was a young girl, she's probably about, 12 or something and she's she's showing us a dance routine you know uh, so our translators got uh, YouTube up or whatever and playing music so she can dance and sing to the music and uh, her parents are clapping and laughing and we're having snacks and treats and stuff and the the older generation is there too of course the grandparents and then the people just start to come and there's people just coming into the house neighbors and stuff and we're just sharing sharing Jesus with them, but super catch. Like it's not like a stand up, all right, now I'm going to preach. You know. It's like they're looking at you like, Well, why did you come all this way? Hey, we just came to tell you how much Jesus loves you. Like, we want you to understand that there is a God who is intimately involved in your life and he loves you so much mm. and he wants to do life with you. You know, here we are with that phrase again. But it's a really foreign concept for much of the world, and to be honest, that's probably a foreign concept for even Most many many church people, right? It's it's that for God so loved the world that he said his one and only son for you, you know? And so we're we're just sharing that gospel. And um and then we uh, get to the point where it's like, do you, you know? Do you want to? Do you want to have Jesus with you in your life? Do you want to be empowered by this Jesus? Do you want to know Him and and have Him a part of your life? He He died to wash away your sins and give you abundant life. Do you want that? Well, yeah. Awesome. So then we just hand it over to our interpreter, who's a, a young man uh, who is very accustomed to, you know, just praying with people through, you know, a, a receiving of Jesus Christ. Um, and so he prays a prayer, and we're just sitting there, and we're smiling, we're laughing, everything. Well, I think it was at that point that the daughter starts doing the dancing routine and stuff, and, and we're just goofing around. I mean, we're just having a nice time with this family out. we've never hung out with before, and there's Great. so much joy, and it's it's amazing. Yeah. And suddenly, I say to Dad, I say, hey, you see that? And across the way, on the couch next to me, the grandmother has just started to weep. And she is uh, so clearly being touched by the Holy Spirit in that moment. And she probably has no concept of what's happening. Right. You know, and so we just, that's okay, that's just, that's Jesus. He's, he's just telling you how much he loves you, you know. And... It was about that time that we got a 
phone call or text message from the clinic like hey where, where are you guys we you know lunch is ready or something i don't uh, even remember okay so it's like oh we've got to go i'm sorry so we stand up to go and dad goes to uh just hold her hands to say thank you so much for having us in your home i'm telling you the second he touched her hand she burst into tears and just starts to melt and just holds him and here's this elderly woman just embracing dad and everybody recognized it as just this holy moment, mm. this moment where the presence of the Lord was so thick. And these are people who, you know, an hour ago didn't even have a concept for what the presence of the Lord was. And yet here they are sensing and seeing the fruit of the Spirit coming in gentleness and joy and peace and patience. They all sat back and they waited while... Uh, while this woman just had her moment with the Lord and everybody stepped back and just smiled. And sometimes it's easy, I think especially for guys like me who have to communicate the the broad strokes of what happens on a journey. You know, oh, we got this many healed and this many got clean water and we got this many through the medical clinic and all those things. And those are all good. I want to understand, like, uh, I'm not all about just pushing numbers, but at the same time, as my pastor reminded me recently, hey, each of those numbers is a human soul. Mm. So there is value in those numbers. So I don't want to just throw those off to the side, but I want you to understand what happens when we go and we spend time with people who were made to be with Jesus. They were made to be in communion with the most holy God who is longing to be with them. And when we get to come and be, as Dad calls it, kingdom connectors, where we take the kingdom of God and we bring it into the here and now, and we say, this is a gift from Jesus. For me, there is nothing better. And that of all the, and there were amazing things that happened in that journey. Healings and preaching the gospel to hundreds of people each night and all these things. Amazing things. But what's the one thing that sticks out to me is that, that one woman having an encounter with a most holy God who loves her more than she could have ever imagined. Mm. And I think I was supposed to be doing an advertisement. Sorry about that. But... This is what's going to happen in Bulgaria, and this is what's going to happen on every journey. But in Bulgaria, what's happening is we're seeing the birth of a house church movement. We are, our, our friends uh, Steve and Ronnie are um, working in the Roma villages. These are villages, actually, interestingly enough, that from a really, really hundreds and hundreds of years ago have uh, an Indian background. Like they, they were, right. they migrated from they migrated India. Up. Yeah. Um, and they are. Uh, our our society would call them gypsies. Um, that's not a, a term that is polite or kind. So they're Roma uh, or the Romani. So the Roma people there are sidelined by society. They are rejected. They live in abject poverty on the outskirts of town. Now we're going to be going and staying in, I think it's the sixth oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. Uh, a beautiful city that is a tourist hotspot. It is the Actually, in 2019, it's the European capital of culture. Uh, And so, I mean, it's a really neat city. But here's the thing. Just outside of that city are villages where uh, there's no running water. Uh, There are children who are running around without proper winter clothes. We did a really cool campaign last year, and we're going to do it again this year, to get winter clothing to those children. Because you look at pictures, and they're walking around in dirt streets with bare feet, and it's cold. I mean, it, it, winter in Bulgaria, it's cold. It's, it's cold. winter. Yeah, right. like, there's snow. Well, um, yeah. 
And so we get, we're going to get to go and just, we're going to be going house to house and just asking that all important question, may I pray for you? And then we're just going to sit back and watch what the Lord does. And I'm telling you, you want to be there because it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if we have a website set up uh, for specifically that page with a uh, shortcut, but uh, there can be within you know before I sure. go home. Sure, um, but easiest thing: impactnations.com/joc, which stands for Journeys of Compassion, and you you'll get to learn more about what we do on journeys, sure, uh, and all that stuff. And I know we talk a lot about journeys on this podcast, but. Uh, it's a really, really big part of what we do because journeys bring together our, our mission statement is to uh, partner with leaders in the developing world to bring supernatural and practical expressions of the kingdom of God. And in a journey, we're doing both of those things all day, every day. So practical demonstrations such as medical clinics, um, uh, clean water, uh, food, uh, oftentimes clothing, um, and sometimes like in Guatemala last year, I think we were helping to uh, pave the floor of huts or something in, oh, in cool. the mountainous villages or something. But anyway, meeting the felt practical needs of the, of the communities. Right. But at the same time, everywhere we go, we're asking that all-important question, may I pray for you? And we're watching people get healed in the mighty name of Jesus and then responding to the gospel and saying, yes, I want that Jesus and then we do the follow-up with them. We plug them into local churches and things like that. Now, in Bulgaria, the cool thing is we've got this, this uh, house church movement that's just getting started. And so these people who say yes to the gospel uh, are going to find themselves suddenly in community with their neighbors and stuff and being discipled on a daily basis just in their home. And uh, we're going to be baptizing people like right in their house. So, uh, Dad was there. Uh, last year or earlier this year, and brought an inflatable pool. They've we already baptized. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So, and their houses are so small that the inflatable pool, bless their hearts, it takes <laughs> up almost their entire living room. So it's really funny. But they're all um, they're all like packed around the yeah, sides. Yeah, and it's like, funny. Hey, in the video, we'll <laughs> yeah, post it again. We'll, yeah. we'll share it again. Um, but anyway, that was our commercial for for Bulgaria. Please come. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. So that even answers part of my next question, which. Before I talk about what you do at Impact Nations, yeah. is what does Impact Nations do? Which I'm sure most podcast listeners know. Yeah. But just to hear even your passion for journeys is fun, even if you already know what it is. Sure. You hear yeah. more, and, and it's exciting. So, uh, let me talk a little bit about some of the things that perhaps I don't talk about quite as much on the podcast or in videos and stuff, which is our commitment to follow up discipleship. Um, because I, I want to make it really clear that. What we are not about is getting a bunch of people to stick their hand up in a field one night and pray a prayer. Uh, there is nowhere in the scriptures that instructs us to do that, and there is no reason to believe that that is an effective strategy for seeing lives transformed. Right. Now, what I'm not saying is don't preach the gospel in a field and don't invite people to respond to the gospel. We do that. We do it, and it's amazing. We see hundreds of people respond to the gospel. But um, what they will do is have pastors who are standing at the perimeter ready to go with pen and paper or with their phone in hand, and they're taking names and numbers from everybody. So um, as an example, in India, I mentioned that we went to the Sikh temple, and then we went out into the village, and we many, many people got healed and saved. We, the reason we know that there were hundreds, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think the number was 260 
six or something like that. The reason we know that is because we wrote down everybody's name and number. Uh, now, the strategy of our partners in India, because they're planting house churches and stuff, is to follow up with a very select few, and they really pray over that list. Okay, Lord, who who are the ones who will lead transformation in this community? And they they text those and say, Hey, we're coming next week. Let's have tea. Mm. Let's let's tell you more about this gospel. And they sit down with them personally. Yeah, except Florida. except that because the gospel is so attractive, and because word has spread that the gospel has come to this town people come. So they texted one guy a week after we'd been there. They texted one fella and said, hey, we're going to come have tea tell you more about Jesus. He said, great, please come, please come. They showed up and there were 60 people in the dude's <laughs> house waiting to hear the gospel and get, get a healing. Great. Um, and a house church was born, right? And you better believe Amazing. the woman whose multi-generational family saw the Holy Spirit come on her in her living room, a house church was born. So my point is we do follow up because discipleship is where it's at. That's what's going to transform lives, right? Now, we need to meet the practical needs too. So we've got ongoing programs, ongoing projects that are meeting felt needs in these communities all over the world. Um, so we work in uh, things like economic development, clean water I've mentioned. We, we've done several projects. where we're, Actually, right now there's a really exciting one going on in the Philippines. Uh, our friends at Impact Nations Australia, which is kind of... It's like our, it's the Australian wing of what we do, basically. They're a registered charity in Australia. They have specifically targeted one province called Eastern Samar in the Philippines. They're trying to get water filters into every single school in the province, which is awesome. So it water is. filters is, a, is another really big thing. And because the water is just, it's bad. And it, like, it's making people really sick. And it is amazing how things change, and things change within 72 hours. When you get somebody clean water, uh, their health improves within 72 hours. So suddenly wow. you're seeing absenteeism go way down, and children are getting a better education. Uh, parents can get back to work and, yeah. and be productive and earn a better living and all these things. So clean water, um, business development, skills development. So we're doing uh, vocational schools, teaching skills from you know hairdressing and makeup and catering and uh, event planning, uh, computer graphics, uh, web development, sewing, and then all of those things always have our small business curriculum involved in them as well, so everybody gets to learn how to start their own small business. You know, one of the things is that not everybody may end up starting their own small business, but the skills that they learn just from personal finance management and stuff are quite remarkable. Uh, and that alone can absolutely transform a, a family, right? Sure. you got a single mom who... Uh, is struggling, who suddenly understands the need for savings and things like that, the need to understand that every dollar has a name. Uh, and just that knowledge alone is going to completely transform the way she does life. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, it's the gospel is good news for everybody, and it's good news for the poor most especially. Absolutely. Uh, and so we just look for opportunities to bring the good news to the poor. That's fantastic. And I get to do that. So the cool thing, again, my job is just, I get to be the connector. Okay, so uh, gonna, yeah. So I, I work with amazing partners. And so why I wanted to do this series, because I want you to meet 
people like Annabelle. I want you to meet people. She's in, in Uganda. Elsewhere in Uganda is Trinity. Uh, in India, you've got Randeep and Anu. Uh, and in Kenya, you've got Mike. You've got Stevie and Ronnie in Bulgaria. Uh, you've got David and Cynthia Pearson in uh, Nepal. And uh, you know we're going to talk to Jeff and Sue in Australia about the work they're doing in the Philippines. In the Philippines. These are all heroes of the faith for me. They, they are my heroes. And I tell them that, you know, you're my hero because you're doing the work. You're in the trenches grinding it out every day mm-hmm. and facing the heartbreak of it. And so we want to talk to them about, you know, we're going to ask them some of the same questions you've been asking me, which is, hey, tell me your story. How did, how did you come to Saving Faith in Christ? Right. But then what, what drives you to do what you're doing today? And tell me about some of your activities. And, you know, what are some of the success stories? And when hasn't it worked out and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. for you? Because that's important too. Because it'll help all of us pray for them. And, you know, I just, I want people to understand the amazing work these partners are doing. And so the joy of my job is, you know, I get to communicate with them in, on, on uh, like at least a weekly basis, sometimes often, more often than that, uh, checking in on their projects and, you know, asking how we can be helping them and, um, you know, sometimes it's coaching, you know. Um, I had a funny conversation. I was in Uganda a couple months ago, and I had a conversation with one of our partners who said, uh, I think it was the first time he and I were spending time physically together in the same space for, like, a long period of time. We mm-hmm. spent spent quite a, many, many, many hours, like, a whole day together, and that was the most intense time we'd had together. And he said over lunch, he says, you know, you're different than I thought. And I thought... Like different, like less hair. Uh, well, I think it's seen pictures of you. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> so I said, you know, I, he piqued my curiosity. So I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, uh, I thought you would be more harsh. I thought you would be more strict because when we communicate by phone and by email and stuff, your questions can be very difficult. And this may sound terrible, but I, that actually really excited me because. Uh, it means I'm doing my job right, which is I'm helping them get better at what they do. You know, the, yeah. the, our partners come with these amazing ideas of, hey, this is how we want to transform these lives, and they come with written proposals. And my job is to kindly but firmly kind of pull it apart and open it up and, you know, open up the closet and say, well, what's in this spreadsheet here, you know, uh, <laughs> and things like that, and write back and say, hey, this is a really neat idea, uh, but we need to work on these components of this plan, yeah. or it's, it's you know, it may not work. And... Uh, that's all by the grace of God. I mean, certainly the training that I got in, in business over the last many years, selling tires of all things, uh, prepared me for that some. Isn't that neat? But the longer I do it here, the better understanding I have. And so sometimes it's like, hey, you know what? I recognize this plan. We did something very similar last year, and these are the areas that went really well. These are the areas that I wish we'd done differently. Mm-hmm. So let's let's shift gears a little bit let's in those improve. areas. Yeah. So we're always looking for ways to improve. So one of the things we do after our projects is we do an evaluation. You know, at the end of the semester of a school or whatever, we say, okay, so let's go and survey the, the students and find out how how they did. Let's survey the students six months later and find out how they're doing and, and ask ourselves the hard questions. What could we have done differently to help them succeed even more? Right. Uh, because, I'm, you know, we're, we're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to get it 100% right. And there's always opportunities for us to, to get better. So I guess m- my job is to help us all get better. I think one of the things that I've learned in general is... Uh, dad and I'm pretty sure he's quoting somebody else when he says this but he says you know we should always have um, 
a knife and a date, and he's referring to the umbilical cord. Like at some point, you got to cut the cut the cord and let them go and be on their own. And so that's something we've learned over time is that we need to start talking about exit strategies from the very beginning. And so that sounds a little bit harsh, but the point we're not here to build sustain or to build dependency on impact nations or dependency on our donors. We're here to build self-sustaining communities and self-sustaining families. And so I think the one thing I've learned is to ask that question pretty close to the beginning of a project. Like, hey, now some projects, like we do, we do feeding of the poor, people who are living on the streets in India, they just need a hot meal. Right. So we're going to do that. That doesn't have an end date. doesn't have a knife. But many of our projects, we build that in at the beginning. You know, we say, okay, we're going to do this project for three years, let's say. And here's our plan to ramp up support and then ramp down support over those three years and, and ramp up sustainability throughout that time so that at the end of the three years, you're able to stand on your own. And I think that's one thing we've gotten a lot better at that maybe at the beginning I wasn't doing as well. Okay. Yeah. Do you see something that's really thriving and you've really been able to... I talk about the School of Purpose a lot. It, it was actually the very first really big project that uh, happened under my tenure. And uh, I... So I've kind of grown with it, and it's grown with us. Okay. You know what I mean? And that one is getting getting close. They've, they've got uh, several businesses they've started this year. Uh, one I'm really excited about. They figured out again. They just they learned. Watch, look for the felt need. What what mm. need can we meet in this community that we can sell them a service or or a good? And uh, so they realized that schools require Ugandan children to have a haircut at the beginning of every term. Um, and so these girls were learning hairdressing, so they thought, well, why don't we do that service for everybody? So they actually negotiated with schools where they go in at the beginning of terms, and they set up a little tent. You know, they got a branded tent, they got branded aprons, and uh, they got their, their clippers and all that stuff. The cool thing is there's very little overhead, so they don't need a building. Uh, they borrow the electricity from the school. They borrow the chairs from the school. So, you know, Great. Uh, it was a cheap startup, but it's already beginning to see revenues come in, and those revenues will offset the cost of the school, and as the business grows, that'll, that'll be one of the businesses we use to, to cut the cord and, and they'll be on their own and continue to flourish. And then we'll be able to go to Annabelle and say, that was awesome. What's next? What's, what's the next great idea? You know, Fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. And you'll get to hear more from Annabelle next week. Yes. Next week we're going to chat with her. As you chat with her. That's one of her projects yeah. in Uganda. Awesome. Uh, we should go. Yeah, it's, it's like four twelve. It's I'm getting the, later. That is awful. I'm so long winded. He goes. We're, we're talking about uh, planets. He goes. I don't know if we can fill an hour. I don't know. Loser. <laughs> so we, there's plenty of questions. Well, we can always take it further yeah, too. I'm always around. You know where I work. It's in this room. We're in my office. I, I work over there. So uh, I just come. <laughs> hey. Um, more questions. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I'm sorry. I'm so long winded. But great. Thank now you, you for sharing. You know a little bit about me. I hope that wasn't too boring. And uh, as I say, I'm really looking forward to getting to our partners because they're far more interesting.